It's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So breaking news this morning. Uh, we just got the overdose numbers for the month of October. 201 mm. toxic drug overdose deaths, the most ever in a single month. That just broke. Yeah, uh, and coroner, BC Chief Coroner Lisa LaPointe just had a news conference. I just ran into her in the hallway, actually. Um, we had a brief conversation again stressing the need for Ottawa to uh, heed BC's request, the BC government's request, to exempt, to, for an exemption for the Controlled Substances Act to allow people to have small amounts of these illicit toxic or these illicit drugs for personal possession purposes, not for trafficking, not, you know, not for dealing, but for personal possession purposes uh, to help get rid of the stigmatization that goes along with Drug How use. does that stop an overdose, though? I mean, if there, if it's still a poison drug supply, don't you need like well, a safe supply? You need a safe supply no. uh, on top of the decriminalization, uh, and the safe supply is key. I mean, fentanyl caused five percent, I think, five percent of the deaths in twenty twelve, and now it's eighty five percent of right. the deaths. Yeah. So it's the uh, supply chain has been disrupted by the pandemic. It's caused it to be poisoned. And as a result, uh, again, 201 people in one month is, is staggering. Yeah. I mean, it's the highest one month total ever. And every time we break this record, you keep thinking like, okay, this is sort of, it doesn't, it probably goes down from here, but it just keeps getting worse. It keeps getting worse. So yeah. pr prohibition is not working. There has to be new um, policies visited here. And, and the province has, you know, so much power, but the federal government ultimately has the trump card here with controlling the uh, Substance Act. What about more treatment to get people off of drugs? Well, I think that's... I mean, that's the tougher one. I mean, that's the one that's really expensive. It's expensive, and it's not necessarily. It's not one hundred percent effective. You know, there's there's some people just don't they drop out of rehab yeah. uh, and go back to drug use. But I think it's it's safe supply recognition that you're not going to get rid of drugs. Yeah. It, it, pro, prohibition doesn't work. It's never worked. It, yeah. The drug problem has been here for years. It's worsening though because of the poison supply chain, and where we saw again five percent of the deaths with fentanyl. Uh, some years ago, now 85% of the deaths. Okay, yeah, it's a huge number. Just announced there by the chief coroner, a record number of overdose deaths last month. Um, yesterday on the show, we talked about the uh, the Coquihalla Highway and how it is uh, broken into pieces here now as a result of the flooding and the landslides. And I had a really interesting interview on the show yesterday with uh, Nicole Tomlinson. Now, she is the producer of the TV show Highway Through Hell, which yeah. I know you like. Yep. And uh, I like it too. I think it's a cool show. And this is the one that follows around those those heavy-duty tow truck tow operators truck uh, on the Coquihalla, a really successful show. It's showing all around the world, filmed right here in British Columbia. And the show the show must go on, as they say in that business, and they, they're continuing to film and do the show, even though the Coquihalla is shut down right now. But I asked her, she's worked on this show for so long, she's been up on that highway for so long, What was? how did she feel when she saw the highway broken into pieces? And here's what she told me. Safe, it's really a way for us to have a comfortable life um, and to have the things that we want and, and see the people uh, who we love. Uh, that's, that's what all that is to me. So to see the highway in pieces, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a loss there. So yeah. that to me is what that highway is. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's devastating for, for them. I'm sure they've spent so much time uh, their livelihood depends on that on that highway. Yeah. Uh, Transportation Minister Rob Fleming is going to be touring the highway tomorrow. He's going up in a chopper and it's going to be uh, going to different places. It's been uh, twenty uh, uh, sections of the highway have been severely damaged, and by damage you've seen the aerial footage on Global. It's like completely gone, washed away. There's five bridges are down. 
Um, he, his, his ministry engineers estimate they can get that highway up and running for commercial trucks only by the end of January, probably on a, either alternating one lane or, or maximum two lanes, uh, but no recreational travel in the foreseeable future. It's going to take some time to fix that highway. Yeah, and she told me yesterday, the producer of that TV show, saying that you know they've kept the cameras rolling all through that disaster. So it sounds like they've got some incredible footage of the flooding, the, the, the landslides, the disaster, and now the aftermath of it, and that'll be on future uh, episodes of the show. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, that'll they, be. They've got footage of that highway actually washing away. That's going to be quite something. Yeah, it sounded like they've, they've really got some incredible footage because they've got camera people who are actually embedded yeah. in these communities like in Hope and Princeton in these areas, and um, but they were ma- right there. Many of the areas that were washed away are very remote places. Yeah. They're not yeah. near towns. Yeah, no, that that's very interesting. Um, let me ask you about this uh, very surprising, kind of shocking and disturbing story that just broke here, and this is that the forests minister, the BC minister of forests, Katrine Conroy, um, was knocked to the ground while leaving the BC legislature. It appears this was on Tuesday night, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, so the NDP caucus had a Christmas party uh, Tuesday night, uh, ended early evening. Uh, she left the building to walk to her place where she lives in James Bay, which is where we're, the legislature is located and was knocked to the ground by someone, uh, suffered minor injuries. The police are, are looking at, are investigating this. They're looking for any information from the public. Not entirely clear what this is all about. I have to say um, uh, personal safety has always been an issue around the legislature. Uh, the At night in particular, there have been, and I've talked to protective services people at the legislature, they've picked up over the years an increasing a uh, number of incidents involving local people here uh, around the legislature who have erratic behavior at night. And these are, um, I think there's some, some mental health issues with a lot of sure. these people around here. Yeah. Um, homelessness. I've been threatened twice over the years, uh, once during the day, once at night by people uh, nearby the legislature. It's, a, it's an increasingly dodgy area of the city. Um, James Bay, there's a, there was a park just up the street here that had... Upwards of 35 uh, homeless tents just a short time ago until it was cleared, and there were threats associated with that. So this is a, a dodgy area. Very unfortunate what happened to Minister Conroy, and, and thankfully she's okay. Yeah, okay, so she was knocked to the ground. She uh, suffered some slight injuries, we're told, uh, resting, uh, recovering from her injuries. Victoria Police are investigating. She's a, a veteran MLA. She's got a tough portfolio here as the Minister of Forests with all the fights and controversies going on around old-growth logging. And let me play a clip here for you uh, of her talking about that issue. Here's Katrine Conroy, the forest minister, talking about the old growth dispute. We want old growth forests to be appreciated by people today and in the years to come. It's also a priority for our government to support good jobs for people in BC's forestry sector. And that's why our government asked an independent panel to advise us on how we could do better when it comes to protecting our old forests. Okay, so, you know, the controversy here is on old growth logging and sort of balancing the environmental issues there with preserving jobs in this industry. And there have been a ton of protesters around the legislature protesting old growth logging policies. And the first thing that went through my mind when I heard about this, that she was knocked to the ground, was, was this a protester Mm. that approached her and, and assaulted her? Now, we don't know that for sure, right? But... You I have would, you have a feeling it was not uh, though. Just based on what I know, talking to protective services people here over the years, they're increasing concern not with protesters but with uh, street people, basically, and mental health challenged yeah. people. I've uh, just last month I went I stood on the front steps of the legislature, witnessing this guy going crazy on the front lawn of the legislature, berating tourists, screaming at people. Obviously, 
um, in, a, in a serious uh, mental health situation. The police were called, and he was taken into custody, but I um, learned later it was a total 100% mental health situation. It had nothing to do with protest or anything. But having said that, protests are increasingly part of the landscape around the B.C. legislature. The Ferry Creek protesters are, are pretty constant here. There's also anti-vaxxers out front every Wednesday, yeah. um, you know, maybe 10 or 12 of them, but they're a constant presence. But again, we don't, we don't have information on who knocked the minister to the ground. <clears throat> but given the evidence uh, and incidents over the years, there just seems to be a lot of this type of behavior linked to mental health situations. Okay, police investigating that, and they're looking for anybody who witnessed anything to come forward there with uh, the, the forest minister getting knocked down there as she left the legislature building. Um, I know you're a big baseball fan, and I know you were listening to the conversation there I had with Lance Williams. Yeah. He's one of the great investigative reporters great reporter. on yeah, steroids and baseball. Literally wrote the book on Barry Bonds and, and the steroid scandal that... that uh, that devastated him. And the question is, does he go into the Hall of Fame? Now, this is the last year of eligibility for Barry Bonds to go into the Hall of Fame. The ballot has just been issued. Also, Roger Clemens, you know, yep. so he's got an argument being the greatest pitcher of all time. Both these guys, right, steroid users. So do they go in the Hall of Fame or not? They were great without steroid use. That's yep. one thing in their corner. On the other hand, you know, I, I go back and forth on this over the years. If you if you kick them out, what do you do to Pete? As Lance Williams points out, um, if you let them in, do you let Pete Rose in, who bet on baseball? And then you look at the early pioneers of the game. There were a lot of racists in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Ty Cobb was a racist. Napoleon LaJoy, who actively um, uh, African Americans actually played baseball at the very beginning until during Reconstruction. And then they were kicked out with uh, people like Nap LaJoy advocating their uh, banning them. So he's in the Hall of Fame. So the Hall of Fame is not a bunch of, you know, really nice people necessarily. Right. Um, the other thing that's working against Bonds and Clemens is, you know, basically catching up to them. Baseball writers are the ones who determine if you go in the Hall of Fame. Those right. two were jerks to baseball writers for a number of years. And I just imagine a whole bunch of baseball writers are saying, forget it. You think I'm going to vote for you? Because <laughs> they got a personal <laughs> yeah. axe to grind. You it. didn't give me an interview for 10 years? Well, that's the the, with you. Well, the other thing I, I heard at some analysis that younger baseball writers who are just eligible to vote for the Hall of Fame who maybe did not cover right, their careers. They're probably going to vote for them. They're more likely to say, let them in. Yep. Okay, so, and they have been inching up. You need 75% of the votes to get into the Hall of Fame, and they go up a little bit every single year. I think they were like 61, 62% well, last year. enough of the younger people who had no interaction with us, too, then they've got a shot again. Yeah, but you'd still need a big surge of yeah. votes to, for them to get in, and do they get a sympathy vote at the very end? They, they may. It's, 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 a, it's an interesting debate. Off there, there, about the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame and, you know, how many guys are in the Hall of Fame right now who maybe just never got caught taking steroids or were taking uppers or amphetamines? Well, I was or... telling you about a book called uh, Ball Four. It yeah. came out in 1970, which was um, the uh, written by Jim Bouton. Groundbreaking book. First ever tell-all book about sports. And it was sort of scandalous at the time about groupies and stuff. But it also talked about players taking amphetamines. Yeah. Uh, greenies, as they call them, uppers. Uh, routinely, uh, and a number of those players in that era are all in the Hall of Fame. They're in the Hall of Fame, right? So why do you leave Barry? But Bonds I'm not. Out? I'm not necessarily excuse. Like I say, I go back and forth. And I know it's a I, tough don't, one. I don't have a firm position on it. Yeah. Okay. Six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number. Star ninety eight ninety eight on your cell. Jackie in Kelowna. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good, Jackie. Go ahead. Um, I don't believe they should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, they. They took these drugs. Lots of other players, like 
unnamed players who worked just as hard or even harder because they weren't taking these drugs um, will never be considered for the Hall of Fame. And that's unfortunate. And I don't think these two people deserve anything. Yeah, Thanks for the call. I think Jackie's probably on the side of where most public opinion is at, which is not forgiving Bonds and, and Clemens and, and Mark McGuire and others for, for doing this. I mean, the, the ironic thing, these guys would have been in the Hall of Fame without steroids. You know, they had a Hall of Fame. Well, that's the, that's the irony of it is that Barry Bonds hit like, like 450 home runs before he started taking uh, steroids. And he probably would have hit at least another 100 without steroids. Yeah, you uh, might not have break, broken Hank Aaron's record, though. No, but if you hit 500 home runs, you're in the Hall of Fame. And he's yeah, approaching right, that. Yeah, right, right. Okay, Noel in Ladysmith. Hi. No, oh, hey there. No, yeah. Noel, I, hi. I know. Yeah, I got a question for you. It's regarding roads. I'm trying to get to Alberta. I've got we've got a rental property that I have to do work on, and I just I thought the Fraser Canyon was open, but I looked on Drive no. BC, and no. yeah, so there's basically no way to go. So you can't get there. You state. can't get there from here. Is that is that what we're telling you? What is it, Keith? Yeah. So uh, Rob Fleming, the transportation minister, will have an update at eleven thirty today. We'll be carrying that live on BC One. Uh, no, the Fraser Canyon is uh, impassable. High, uh, the Coquihalla is broken. Uh, the best bet is to go down into Washington State and then come up yeah. through there. Yeah, and you don't need the you don't need the negative P- PCR test for seventy two hours. So if you can make it to Alberta that <laughs> time, right? You could could you drive through the states? Yeah, you can, drive and then come the back up yeah. without a test. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that might be your only bet. I mean, there's highway. Well, there's highway three. But that's only essential traffic. That's though. essential traffic. Yeah, and so, they're probably not going to let you through. So recreational travel to your cabin, uh, you're not going to get there on you're gonna the have to go through the roads. You're going to have to go through the states. Okay, let's go to Lisa on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Lisa. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to just, you know, it's really important to also talk about treatment when we're talking about the drug crisis, and I just felt like that was brushed off by Keith. Um, you know, 15 years ago, when when I got clean... Um, I had a bed in four days when I was willing. I went to detox and I had a bed in four days where I lived for 11 months, government funded, and I've been clean for 15 years, uh, 17 years actually coming up. And uh, so I'm a homeowner, I'm a taxpayer, I have kids, so we can't give up on people. And, you know, it took me a year and a half of trying. And now people die before they get willing because of the toxic drug supply. But we do have to have beds ready for people when they are willing. And, like, why is it so different now that people have to wait months and months to get a bed? My Thank friend you. just lost their 17-year-old daughter because she was yeah. on a waiting list. Thank yeah, you. Was, Thank was, you, Lisa. Look, I wasn't brushing it off. I think we need more treatment beds, and, and we are getting more treatment beds. Uh, there was some more uh, created in Surrey in the, in the last budget. Uh, but it's that's not a... a, a one hundred percent of the solution, either. I think. You do well, you need, need it though. I mean, you need it all, right? Like you need, you need, you need more beds. Yeah. You need more ad- addiction services, but you need, I think, to decriminalize or for personal possession. The thing that the thing that I find frustrating though is that the politicians always seem to take the easy way out, which is kind of like, oh, let's set up a safe injection site and cut a ribbon on that, or let's decriminalize drugs. I mean, that's easy to do. It's harder and a lot more expensive to bring in treatment recovery to get people into a bed where they can get off drugs. Not, not everybody can do it, but Lisa did it, other people, and, and oh, yeah, it no, can be do. done. But I, I, if it was easy to decriminalize, it would, we'd have decriminalization. It's not easy. 